Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is a somewhat new group. Uh, especially one in particular, and we'll just start there. Uh, I'm going to have everyone introduce themselves real quickly, but we'll start with Ryan Krasnew, who you probably know uh, from soundersfc.com, but say hi, Ryan. Hey, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and then, of course, we have Tim Foss, Jr. Hey. Tim Foss. I don't, know, I don't know why I go with Jr. Because it's in there, and I think there's a sort of, compulsory need to say everything that's in someone's name right exactly uh and then casey do now hey how's it going yeah so we got the we got the gang together here to to both uh enjoy the sounders most recent win over fc dallas we will also look ahead to minnesota united which is going to come up on monday uh we don't yet know who the sounders would potentially be playing i guess uh, of course we don't know uh the eastern conference final is just the day before the Sounders, so there's still a chance the Sounders are going to host uh mls cup although there seem to even be some potential of of a neutral site going on we don't need to like, get need, need to get into all that but let's just start with the fc dallas match this is the fourth time in five years that the Sounders have been in the western conference final uh they have now been there five times in the last seven years. They seem to run into FC Dallas a lot on the on the path to that point. Uh, and this game was very much fits within the context of their previous meetings with FC Dallas in the playoffs. Uh, all but one of those meetings has been decided by one goal or less. Uh, there was actually two ties in that in those uh, those meetings. But this was this was a cagey affair, I think. It was a little bit more, my read on it was a little bit more wide open than your average 1-0 match, but it wasn't like the chances were coming fast and furious. Uh, we might as well start with you, Ryan, since you are new to the, to the podcast. What was your takeaway from the, uh, from the FC Dallas match? It was a lot more wide open than their match against Portland, I'll tell you that much. Dallas, for 75 minutes in that game, kind of just hung back, let Portland play with the ball for a little bit. And, you know, I thought Luchi Gonzalez's approach to Seattle was a really smart one because, you know, he came in last year um, and kind of went, you know, balls to the wall, went for it, ended up losing in a thriller, you know, and I think rather than sit back in a, in a complete, you know, two sets of four block, um, I thought he picked his moments really well for his team to go forward. Um, Dallas were definitely dangerous, more dangerous than they were against Portland probably unlucky not to score a goal too, if it weren't for the post and a great block by Yamar. But I thought they were really, really smart. And I think at the end, you know, at the end of the day, 
I think the Sounders just their 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 talent shown through. Um, but you know, really really smart play by by Lucci, and you know, on a different day, maybe that ball goes in the back of the net, you know, and uh, it, it's a completely different ball game. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and I'm glad that you said they didn't sit back as deep as they did against Portland because I, I saw some narratives going around that oh Dallas is sitting deep, they're trying to make this game dirty. And I don't think that gives Dallas the credit they deserve for the match they played because, frankly, I thought they harassed us in our end of the field too. My takeaway was that they're super well coached, but also I thought they used their youth to their advantage. It seemed just on, pay, on by the high test that they were covering insane amounts of ground, pressuring, but then recovering back um, when the Sounders did get deep. And yeah, I thought they kind of played the perfect game against the Sounders. So I think for them, for the Sounders to get the win is a good sign uh, from the playoff gods. Yeah, I think that. Go ahead, Tim. I just was going to say, I think that point that they pressed all over the field and still then when that press was beat, they sort of collectively moved back, um, which resulted in a lot of times where. I think you saw people on Twitter or whatever complaining that, oh, it's too many passes, they need to shoot more. But a lot of those were, one, I think when that stuff works, everyone loves it because it makes really great goals. And that's one of the things that the Sounders use to their advantage is pretty much all of their attackers are really good at passing and receiving the ball in the tight spaces. And they get really good goal scoring opportunities from that. But it wasn't like they were just trying to do that in crowds. They were doing that when it looked like a good opportunity. And then Dallas recovered and suddenly a guy looked like they just had one person to beat. And now they're trying to receive it with three guys around them. And a few of those passes were just a little bit behind or just a little bit slow. It kind of looked like maybe the turf was playing slower than they expected it to at times. But uh, I think it doesn't doesn't do either team a service to say that the Sounders were trying to pass too much and Dallas sat back too much. I think Seattle played their game and Dallas played a game perfectly tailored to shut it down. And the Sounders ended up with the one magical moment that they needed to get through. It was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a situation this year where, the Sounders have done really well at getting into halftime 0-0-1-1, something like that, and then kind of blowing the doors off the opponents in the second half. Like, that seems to have been their, their MO this year. Uh, and it, it felt like that was about to come. After they got the goal, there were a few moments where Dallas felt like they opened up a little bit more, and the Sounders were, were getting out in transition and creating chances but I think to Dallas's credit, they were really good at – it wasn't like a game where it was stuck between the 18-yard the boxes, where the midfields were just clogging everything up. There was a lot of free-flowing play, I thought, uh, down the wings and, and uh, into the box. But both teams did a really good job of just getting in the way of shots. Uh, there was a bunch of block shots. The Sounders, I think, had a season-high six block shots. Uh, and then there was just – Dallas did a lot of – had a lot of plays where they just kind of got their foot in right before the final ball. Like the, the one that really stands out to me, there was a little interchange between Ladero and Roldan 
where Ladero tried to slide Roldan into the box. And uh, I don't remember who it was, but a Dallas defender was just able to get, get their foot on it. And it was like a well-weighted pass. Everything was well executed. It was just defended really well. And I think Dallas did generally a really good job of making those types of plays where it was, you know, a one-on-one chance where the, you, you need the defender to, to come up big. And they did. Um, and I think it, I'm sure Dallas gets tired of hearing this because it, it probably feels a lot like, you know, the, uh, the bulls and the, and the Pistons, except for the Pistons don't, don't give up. You know, like they, they're, they're not, they're, they're continuing to stay on top and the, and the Sounders and, and, and Dallas keep meeting in the playoffs and the Sounders are always the more veteran group. And Dallas is always the up and coming group. And it just kind of repeats itself instead of like both teams transitioning into like aging out and aging up. Um, I mean, maybe that's because it's in, it's been in such a small window of time, but uh, I feel for Dallas because it it does seem like they're doing a lot right. And I don't know what I would say that they need to do better. Uh, But Hey, I'm happy to to keep getting these wins. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was smart for Lucci to bring in some veteran experience. I mean, threw out a bunch of young guys last year and, you could see that the moment at times was a little too big for him, but you know, you bring in guys like Thiago Santos, you bring in uh, Andres Ricarte, who I think is phenomenal. Um, and he's young too. I think he's 29. He's, you know, on the right side of 30 can be there for a couple of years, be a strong presence for him. If they can keep, I think he's on loan from Independiente Medellin, but um, he was, he was a problem for the, for the Sounders multiple times during that game. And, you know, he's, the same type of player I'd say as uh, Reynoso of Minnesota. I don't think he's as good as Reynoso is, especially in the last, you know, couple of games for Minnesota, but you got to give Dallas credit too. I mean, defensively Matt Hedges, like dude's been a stud for seven years, eight years in the league, whatever it's been like, he's a perennial MLS best 11 candidate for a reason. I thought he played well next to Brisson and they're, they're not an easy team to break down. They were second in the West and goals allowed this year, right? The one behind the Sounders. So, um, you know, it, to go on the road to Seattle, a team that had been blowing out opponents at home and to give up one goal, you give yourself a chance to win. They, they couldn't get it done offensively. But I think if you told Luchi Gonzalez, they were going to allow one goal in Seattle. I think you'd probably take that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, and I agree that I think adding the veteran pieces has taken this team to another level, even if they doesn't show with how far they got in the playoffs. It seems like they're more fundamentally positioned to move forward. And I feel like the difference between the Sounders and Dallas a lot of times is, I mean, frankly, we just have a lot of high-priced TAM veteran players uh, who the little tiny margins, maybe they're winning those balls and, and that in the long run affects the course of the game. But another thing I wanted to touch on, because you mentioned um, the similarities with Reynoso, defensively, I think Minnesota is is similar in that if you watch those two games, they are masters at getting a foot in at the last second to disrupt what seems like surefire goals. So I do think that that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Is I agree with Tim. It's not like we were just being completely wasteful in the final third, but Minnesota seems to be a team um, similar to Dallas that if you're not extremely efficient, uh, you might rue your missed chances against them, and they will certainly get a foot stuck in was there anything from this game, though, that concerned you at all? You know, the Sounders had been – the Sounders on a seven-game postseason winning streak. One of the things that struck me about that streak coming into yesterday was that they had scored multiple goals in all their previous six wins. 
they, they obviously didn't score multiple goals in this one. They had been averaging three goals a game during that, during that win streak. Uh, and the, the chance, it wasn't just that they only scored once. I mean, they only put two shots on frame. They, you know, 13 shots. I think they had 13 shots, which were, you know, a lot of blocked shots. Um, but their offense just wasn't really clicking. Is that, is anyone concerned about that being a, anything more than Dallas doing a particularly good job? Not really. I think that that number of games with multiple goals consecutively is sort of one of those stats or records that exists to be broken. Like that run is not going to last forever. Um, I would maybe be more concerned if they hadn't really gotten chances or if the shots that they took had all been from outside of the box that they sort of relented to the pressure and defensive scheme that Dallas put together and stopped getting into those spaces inside of the box. But there were a couple of shots that I don't think they got deflected. I think they were situations where the Sounders got a really good look on goal and, you know, maybe it's new who sort of getting put off a little bit or leading back too much and absolutely skying the shot. Or um, I think there were a couple like that, that, they got into a really good spot and then just took a bad shot or Rui Diaz had one that was not too dissimilar from one of the absolute bangers that he scored early in the year where he just took like one bizarre touch that doesn't even make sense as a shot. And it went a little bit wide of the near post that you wouldn't have been totally surprised if he scored it and he misses and that's okay. You just keep moving. Um, they created chances in from good places. They took shots. They just happened to not be on frame or get blocked, whatever. Um, but I, I think they did what they wanted to in terms of chance creation. And that is what's going to lead to goals. I'd be more concerned if they hadn't done that. Yeah, I think the Sounders are just, you know, victims of their own high expectations. You know, it, it that's not what they were doing is not sustainable, but it's, you know, to the point where it's like, when you see Steph Curry pull up from three and it doesn't go in, you're more surprised. Right. It's like, anytime the Sounders don't put three goals, like, Oh, they had a bad game. Well, it's like, no, they didn't. They had a professional performance. They got a shutout. They had some opportunities. They're just, you're not always going to score. I mean, the teams in this league are good. And the farther you move along in the playoffs, the teams are going to get better. And, you know, combined with, with Dallas's, you know, veteran presence in the back, it was hard. It was really hard. And, you know, Nico, Raul, Jordan, maybe they weren't at their, their full best, but, you know, I'd take, you know, above average from them uh, over just about anyone else in the league too. And, you know, especially a guy like Nico, like this, this is not going to happen again. He's going up against Ozzy too. And it's, it's also another, you know, chance to lift the trophy and to do it at home. And I just, I don't expect them to come out and put in a repeat performance, but again, it's, it's up to what Minnesota does. I think Adrian Heath's team is going to be, a little more uh, ambitious to go for it than Lucci was. Um, I think they have more talent than, than FC Dallas does. So, you know, it's, I, I think, I think the game's there for, for the Sounders on Monday. On Monday. It is a funny thing. Uh, the Sounders seem like the national narrative about the Sounders seems to be that their weakness is defensively and that they haven't been a great defensive team, but, like no matter what, like, and I guess I understand where it comes from. If you like, 
just see highlights or you are looking at it in this grand scheme, like there are moments where the Sounders don't look great, but man, no matter what numbers you're looking at, like they're all very good. Like the Sounders are, are like maybe one of their best defensive teams that they've had uh, certainly for the last few years. And it happens to be coupled with this offense. that's also very good, which <laughs> I suppose is, is really encouraging, but it, it's funny how this, you know, if the Sounders had scored 10 fewer goals, I feel like we'd be talking about what a great defense they had, but instead uh, it's like, well, it's their, their weakness. Um, but, you know, looking ahead to Minnesota, it does seem like they are in, you know, they're, they're certainly playing the best of any of the teams that the Sounders are, are have played yet in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Kevin Molino and Reynoso are in a kind of form that I, I saw someone yesterday say, well, they might be the best duo. And I was thinking, well, Louis Diaz and Ladero may have something to say about that, but I don't know right now they are Molino and Reynoso are playing about as well as, as any pair could be playing. Uh, Molino has four goals in two games. Reynoso has six assists in two games. Uh, it's a pretty impressive run of form. I don't know who wants to jump in first, but uh, who, who has what? Like, I know Tim has at least looked at, uh, went back and, and started looking at, at Minnesota United. What, do, what are your takeaways? What, what kind of matchup problems are they going to pose for the Sounders? Um, well, I guess the first thing that I kind of want to touch on is, yes, Molina and Reynoso have been lights out during the playoffs, but both of their playoff games have been basically contests to see who can give up the most goals and it just has been flukes and remarkable luck in both games that they've kept clean sheets um they gave up tons of chances and tons of opportunities in both of those games both before they got their opening goals and then after uh in both games they really yeah, they had two nothing leads, but they kept trying to give both Colorado and Kansas City chances to get back in it and then got their third goals pretty late and closed it out. Um, but both of the defenses that they ran up against were playing really badly and just giving the ball away constantly. Um, still, I think they kind of look like almost a budget version of the Sounders, both in the way that they play. They try to put together a pretty solid defensive um, platform to build their game off of. And then they have a double pivot that is pretty good in, I think ideally they have Jan Grigush and Ozzy Alonso, which you're picking players to make a double pivot out of is a pretty good one. Uh, Gregush does most of the running and Ozzy does Ozzy things in front of and behind and around him. Um, and, you know, their front four feels not too dissimilar from maybe not what the Sounders current front four is, but I think some of the previous more technical front fours that have included guys like Victor Rodriguez and uh, like Harry Ship. Um, their four of Finley, Molino, Reynoso, and Ludd is four technical players who can interchange and they like to play with each other and, you know, play give and goes and work around defenses. I think 
they're going to give the Saunders backline trouble, um, especially I think one of the issues for Shane O'Neill throughout this season has been staying connected with the rest of the backline. And if he is not super connected with Jamar, that's going to be a huge problem. That was something that I think particularly against Kansas City, Minnesota really took advantage of was guys not sticking together, not keeping, I mean, specifically on Molino's second goal, not keeping their off uh, offside trap cohesive. Uh, but their center backs in particular are not great. Uh, and they in turn will also struggle with, I think, Rui Diaz's mobility. And I think there's going to be lots of opportunities on that their right side for Jordan Morris to get in behind. Uh, Messonier hasn't had his best season, but he's still a good player who's going to get forward. And that means that Jordan is probably going to have chances to run at center backs and against their center backs. I like those chances. Tim, you took uh, one of my takes straight out of my mouth, which is I, I started I rewatching Minnesota in the playoffs and they very much remind me of particularly the 2017 Sounders when you had Svensson and Alonzo in that, in that double pivot, and maybe both are a little more defensive leaning, though both are very good on the ball as well. And I think what that allows them to do is their fullbacks go full bore and are very good in the attack. And then yeah, the interchanging of the front four is super dynamic. So I have to say on the record, because I think I uh, slandered Minnesota earlier in the year for just being a counter team. Reynoso has completely changed their ability at the second goal against SKC they broke SKC down even when SKC was fairly organized um, just through the creativity of Reynoso so I think that yes while they have gotten a little bit fortunate not to get scored on the veteran savvy of those two holding mids just puts people off enough uh, that they're a bit of a tricky team to break down and, and they will get one going the other way if you're not super on your P's and Q's. So I think they're a super tough matchup and, and one that will be really exciting to watch. Jeremiah, I just want to go back to a, your point about the defense earlier. I, I found it pretty fascinating. If you look at the Sounders lineup, which was one of the deepest they've had all season against FC Dallas, they had three guys on their bench who started MLS cup on defense you had Kelvin Leardom, Roman Torres, and Brad Smith, 2019 MLS Cup defensive starters, all on the bench. And you had three new guys on that back line, still kept the shutout with a chance to go play for a trophy next. Pretty, pretty remarkable. Uh, and I thought Yamar had probably the best game of his, his sounder season. Um, they've all been pretty good, but especially this one, he's, his anticipation was fantastic. He was strong physical I thought he commanded that back line really well um and going back to Reynoso obviously tons of skill there Boca Juniors educated like really really top player SKC played with one defensive midfielder in Ilya who's a fantastic passer of the ball but he's not really you know renowned for his defense and he had so much space you look at yes it was a brilliant ball to Molino but he had five seven ten yards of room about 30 yards from goal with no pressure on him. I just don't see Joao Paulo or Christian Roldan giving him that kind of space. Yeah, I agree with you. Ilya got traffic coned, I felt like, a lot in that game. It's hard. He, Reynoso is too good to have just one 
offensive minded number six in there trying to slow him down, which is why, you know, I, I think when, when you go up against a bulldog in Joao Paulo, who has been playing a lot like Ozzy has, honestly, that last game, he was everywhere. He was cleaning things up. He had 13 recoveries, which is just unbelievable for a guy who also is contributing on offense. But, you know, I, I think it, it's ultimately going to come down to uh, Reynoso versus Ladero. And it's a very simple, simplified way to look at it. But, you know, if, if Nico can pull the strings and he can get one, you know, past Ozzy and can unlock Jordan, then like the Sounders are going to have chances. Like, um, you know, uh, Tim was saying with Minnesota center backs, I mean, Brisson and Matt Hedges of FC Dallas, I think are far superior than Michael Boxall and DeBossi of, of Minnesota. And you saw the SKC just couldn't, they, they just couldn't finish. I mean, that game could have been three, nothing SKC in the first 20 minutes. And then it's a completely different game. You know, Johnny Russell, who just can't buy one this season, got, you know, stone cold by, by Dane St. Clair. And then St. Clair, again, a phenomenal save too on that header. I still don't know how he kept that out, but that's a completely different game. Right. And it's going to come down and it's the, the margins are so slim and, you know, you're going to need Rui Diaz and, and Nico and Jordan when they get those chances, because they will get them, you know, it, they, they're not going to get seven, but if you get three and you get another half chance, you got to bury two of them. You just have to, because it's the playoffs and that's, you know, that's all you're going to get. Minnesota's going to make adjustments. Heat's going to make adjustments and you, you have to put away those chances, you know, and the Sounders did that against FC Dallas and, you know, Dallas got unlucky, I think hit the post and then, you know, Yamar blocked Ricarte's shot. So th- again, the, the margin of error is so slim, but I think it's like, that's where your, your quality shows. And, you know, Nico, Jordan, Raul, those guys have done it. Brand new situation for, for Minnesota United. And, you know, it's, it's time to see if they can rise to that level. Yeah. yeah. To the point of the slim margins, I also want to add, obviously this is true in any game, but I believe it would really behoove the Sounders to get a first half goal in this one, because I think if Minnesota has, if we have to, if they have to come out and start to attack, it's going to be gangbusters and we can get a lot more, but I'm going to get nervous if we get in the 70th, 80th, 90th minute with how efficient they are on the counter attack. And if we start to press too much, I think that's where it could get a little bit vulnerable though I agree our you know JP and Christian are miles ahead of Eli in terms of defending a potential counter but I think that's one to look for in this match is can we get an early goal because that will completely change the complexion of the game one thing that I'm curious about is how much Ozzy Alonso is going to have to offer in this one I think it's easy to look at and go like oh well Ozzy Alonso is going to be fired up for this game this is you know this is an important game. This is in Seattle. He's got a point to prove. I, I would have been a lot more worried about him if this was the Western Conference final from 2019, though, because that was, you know, Ozzy Alonso was playing like, like Ozzy Alonso last year. He's, he's only played, he's played less than half the games this year. Uh, he just came off a, he's only played, I think he's played three games over the last few months, uh, four games over the last few months. Um, this is, was his first game in, in about a month. I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm skeptical that he's got more than 60 or 70 good minutes in him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally fair. The one thing I would say is that people have to recognize the evolution of Ozzy Alonso a little bit. Um, I felt like even Sounders fans struggled with that with his last few years with our team and that he is not going to be going out there you know, getting however many recoveries JP did last match. I don't think where he helps the team 
you know, and this was true in his last year or two at the Sounders, is that he's a metronomic passer uh, in the midfield. So if you're looking at can he do that for 90 minutes, yes. But I do think your point is a good one in that, you know, later stages he has the potential to get beat, that's for sure, defensively. Yeah, I think this game is almost perfect for – there's been discussion throughout the playoffs of – and prior to the playoffs, but who the sort of best options for the Sounders in midfield are, whether that's Joao Paulo and Christian, or if that's Joao Paulo and Gustav Svensson, and Schmetzer's hand sort of got forced by Svensson not being medically cleared. Uh, but I think this game sets up perfectly for continuing to run with that Joao Paulo and Christian tandem, because I think the trio of those two and Nico Ladero the combined ability to cover ground for all of them to pressure defensively anyone who has the ball and also all three of theirs ability and desire to play the ball quickly and then move to create more passing opportunities for their teammates is perfect for this game. Um, I don't remember specifically if they did against Kansas City, but I know they created a couple chances against Colorado where I think one particular was Eunice Nomley just sort of doddering on the ball and they snatched it and played two quick passes and had a chance almost immediately. None of those guys are going to get caught just sitting on the ball. Um, it's happened, but it's not by any means a habit or a likely thing for any of them. Um, I think that trio is uniquely suited to prevent Minnesota's team from getting time on the ball and also avoiding that press um, and not giving up counters like that. It's one of the, the you know, you, you mentioned Svensson not being like we don't know what I suppose we might find out later today what his availability is for this game I I don't think like I'm personally not expecting him to be fit to start at like best case scenario like he might be available off the bench but that's another thing that's remarkable this is a that's a fourth player who started MLS Cup last year who best case scenario is probably not going to be a bit, not going to be starting in this one and it, it speaks to the the Sounders depth uh, along those same lines like I know Ryan wrote about him, but Alex Roldan's emergence as not just a viable backup right back, but someone who at this point, I think Schmetzer has to be thinking long and hard as to whether or not he wants to put, even if, even if, like, I don't think Kelvin Lurdum was fully fit for this last game, which is probably why he didn't start. But even if he is fully fit for, for Monday, I got to think that's a tough decision for him to, to sit Roldan after he's now coming off three, four really good performances against, you know, in big, in big situations, uh, you know, Roldan doesn't look at all out of place. Right. Don't, now. I don't, I don't think you touch a thing. I don't think, I, I don't think you mess it up. I think you've gotten two great performances out of him. Um, I think the only question uh, in terms of the starting lineup is, do you start Gustav and move Christian in for Joven? But I think right back again, I don't think Kelvin is 90 minute fit either. I mean, hamstring injuries are, are, are tough and, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was maybe 10 days or so that he, that he injured it. So 
I think, I think, look, if Alex were struggling, I think it's a different conversation. It's do you play a 70% Kelvin over Alex, but Alex hasn't looked out of place at all. And that's probably underselling how well he's played. Um, he was dynamic on offense. You know, I think he's still learning a little bit of the nuances defensively, but you know, there was, there was no drop off at all from a guy who, you know, who was not even a right back prior to the season, you know, and replacing a guy who started MLS cup last year and who has, you know, 14 years pro experience. So I think it's a, a testament to him. I think it's a testament to the coaching staff, Jimmy Traore in, in particular, getting him ready for that. And, and Schmetzer's faith in him and Alex going out there and repaying it. You know, one of the uh, things I'm curious about as far as Roldan goes is, you know, he, he got chances on uh, the last, the previous two seasons, there were chances more in the midfield, but he never, at no point did he look to be playing with the kind of confidence that he is now. And it's, you could just see the way he carries himself. He just feels like he belongs there. He's, you know, the way he, he just absolutely big brothered Christian Torres in against LAFC. Like there was no way he was going to get beat on any ball by Christian Torres. Like you could just tell he made that decision. This is not going to happen. And he didn't have quite as much of a one-on-one matchup this week, I don't think. But he, he just isn't getting beat. He, he looks very confident the way he handles the ball. I, I, I would just love to know what got into his head because he, he, never, he just never looked – like even when he was effective, it was effective in a very specific – like you have a, a, a very specific job to do. Just simplify your game when you, in the past. And now he's just – He's just out there bowling. Well, I think any pro player or even not pro player will tell you the difference in mental approach when you know you have the coach's faith. And because this has been a whole season of even when he hasn't started, he's been first off the bench, even at outside mid, et cetera, et cetera. When you get into a rhythm as a player, it is like a whole new ball game than when you're coming in maybe getting 10 minutes and thinking if I miss one pass, that's it for the next five games for me. So I think that's helped him. But I also think right back just suits this dude's skill sets uh, better than anywhere else at the MLS level. Because I don't know if he has the elite foot speed and movement technical skills to be a dynamic winger. He's okay. He's pretty good there. I'd center mid a little bit of the same thing, but right back, this dude's service is out of control. Good. His crossing, it, there's a nuance to crossing. It's like, yes, most professional players can put it in the box, but the way he's swerving them, back post, front post, whatever, whatever, it is elite. I will say his crossing ability is bar none elite. So I think that that positional change has done a lot. However, I will say devil's advocate, I'm kind of leaning Leardom for this one just because Molino is so dynamic with his movement off the ball that having a veteran – um, from, just from a communication standpoint, I think could be healthy. That said, I will not be mad at all if Alex Rodon starts the dude's been balling out. Um, I, I have to imagine that the experience of playing a bit over the last couple seasons, but never really making that much of an impact, uh, and then getting cut and having to come back change position and fight for a spot on the team had a huge impact on Alex's progression. Um, I have talked with Casey about this. I sort of have like a pet theory of 
certain types of players who succeed at the college level, but aren't necessarily elite creative players. They don't have any particular specific skill set where they succeed. They play as, you know, he was sort of a creative eight pseudo 10 for Seattle U. They don't play the highest level of competition in D1 soccer. They play some good teams, but that's not all of what they do. And even there, he wasn't putting up huge numbers. He had some good seasons, but he, you know, he wasn't an elite creative player. His greatest strengths were the things that he's shown the entire time he's played in MLS. He has a ton of energy. He isn't going to give up. His passing is good and he can cross it, but his passing is not like elite level. He's not particularly suited to be like a ball carrying midfielder. But if you move him back a line, you give him support around him and the ability to see more of the field, he gets more opportunities to cross the ball with less pressure on himself. He has more passing options in front of him. And the added motivation of, yes, you succeeded at the college level, you made an MLS team, but you have to take the next step. And when he was forced to take that next step, he took the next step. Well, that might be a good place to, to, to leave it for now. Um, obviously big game coming up on Monday. Uh, a big game that I think we'll all be watching intently on Sunday as uh, Minnesota and Columbus face off. Um, assuming they don't go to a neutral site, which apparently is now being weighed. I don't know exactly what will be the determining factor in that, but um, it sounds like maybe what's going on is MLS is not super excited about the possibility of hosting a MLS Cup final in Minnesota on December 12th. <laughs> like that might be, might have, that might be a problem, I suppose. Uh, an outdoor MLS Cup in Minneapolis. Uh, but we'll see how that works out. Um, hopefully, uh, I think we're all hoping probably for a, a new England Revolution uh, matchup. Does anyone have any quick thoughts on the crew versus the Revs before we, we go? Bruce Arena forever. <laughs> and also, I mean, he has the play of Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo. We were talking about Reynoso and Molino, but Hill and Bo, I think, are yeah. fantastic. He has been injured most of this year, but I think he was either MLS best 11 last year or he was playing like he was newcomer of the year. He is fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, what he's done to, to that team, he's really given them a, a, a shot in the arm of, of talent that they haven't had in a while. And he combines well with Bo too. Adam Buxo, the other DP Polish forward, is playing well too. I don't know defensively if they can handle a, a healthy Zellerayon and Giassi Zardes. We'll see. But offensively, man, they're fun to watch. Yeah, they are. They, they, they have been a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I, I just want to give a super quick shout out to the elite number 10s that we have left in this playoff field with Ladero, Reynoso, Zellerayon, and Carlos Hill. I know we lost some good ones already too, but really goes to show why they're giving DP money to that position. Cause those four have propelled their teams maybe more so than in any other year 
uh, to this final four. Yeah, you would think in a league that is very much a copycat league uh, that a lot of coaches are looking at how, how do I get my $10 million number mm-hmm. 10? Um, but uh, yeah, again, easier said than done, though, I'm, I'm sure. Um, all right. Well, that's a, that's a good place to call it. Uh, I am Jeremiah O'Shan signing off for the Sounder podcast on behalf of Casey Dunow, Tim Foss, and Ryan Krasnow. Uh, this is the Sounder Art podcast, and we will catch you next time. Thanks.